Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hawaii Kai Church, and thank you for joining us in worship. Uh, especially if you are new or you're visiting, we do want to extend a special welcome to you. And if there are any questions that you may have, any comments, any concerns, any things that you may be going through uh, that you don't want to go through or process alone, please come and find me after service is over or any other of the other elders as well, and we would be more than happy to speak with you. Uh, but even more than just an individual conversation with any one of us, I do want to encourage you to give yourself uh, to the church and commit yourself to the people here as a whole. So many of the answers to our ailments can be found in the ministry of the body of Christ. And I really believe that because the word says that. Uh, we minister to each other as a family. Um, at this time, I do invite you to take out your Bible or a Bible underneath the chair in front of you and turn to the book of Luke. And we are in Luke chapter 8 and verse 16 as we continue our study through Luke. Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 21 is our passage today. That passage can be found on page 865 if you are using a church Bible, page 865. Luke chapter 8 and verse 16. Before we look at our text, would you please join me in prayer? Uh, Father, we thank you for this time of worship, and as we come before your word, uh, may this sermon be a clear uh, and an accurate and, and powerful demonstration of your word. Uh, may the preaching of this passage be used by the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts and to change our lives in such a way that you uh, would be more and more everything to us. Would you please uh, convict us of how much it is that you love us and let that transform us and, and bring us near to you, especially for the one who may not know you this morning. Would you please make today a day of salvation? It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. At this point in the book of Luke, Jesus has accumulated many, uh, many people following him. And there are followers from all different villages and a variety of towns all over ancient Palestine. And they would travel by foot miles and miles to come to listen to the words that would come out of his mouth. Jesus spoke with this distinct authority, which had been unlike any of the other rabbis and teachers of his day. And the people would witness uh, these healings of even the most dreadful kinds of diseases, and they would watch in amazement as people oppressed with the most harmful spirits were set free by the word of this man, Jesus. And so Jesus has a lot of people following him because of that excitement and that buzz, that hype, his communication ability, and this undeniable authority which the crowds had never witnessed in all of their lives. But Jesus knows that while many can hound his every step and appear to be so interested in what he is about, Jesus knows that not all of these are actually hearing his message. And not everyone will truly receive his word with any kind of genuine faith. Jesus' proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of God will often go in the one ear and right out of the other and not be internalized within the heart which is why Jesus has given to these crowds and to his own disciples a parable about hearing. Because how we hear the word of God is everything. The main point of the parables, which we covered last Sunday, is that the kind of hearer you are 
will reveal exactly where you are spiritually. Because the way we listen to the word of God determines everything about us now and for all of eternity. And there were four categories of hearers from this parable of last Sunday. There can be those who are hardened and indifferent who can listen to the gospel, and it means next to nothing. The word of God merely rests upon the surface of their hearts, never penetrating any deeper than that. And that word is easily snatched away. And there will be others who, upon hearing, they seem to be all in, they appear to receive the gospel with joy, but after a time of trial, uh, of testing, temptation, uh, time, after a period of feeling the weight of the cross that Jesus has beckoned each of us to carry, they're done. And their faith doesn't last the test of hardship nor endure the test of time. They fall away. And there will be another kind of hearer who may hear quite frequently the word and who understands clearly the cross that he has called us to bear. And this hearer may not have a dramatic falling away at all, but within the heart of this person is a variety of competing interests, and therefore they can't go all in with Jesus. They diversify their portfolio, so to speak, and trust in their wealth and fantasize how to get more of it. They're captivated by their desire for pleasure, or they're distracted by the cares and the worries of this life. And this word, which can be so fruitful within the heart of a true believer, is choked in this person by the very things which occupy their hearts that won't even matter in a hundred years from today. But there will also be another category of hearers where they listen and they hold fast to what they have heard. And with a deep honesty and a, and a good and genuine heart, they examine themselves and they examine the word. And they continue to bear fruit with patience and endurance, which is the goal of the seed being sown. But the preaching of the word is designed to produce fruit within our lives. And hearing the preaching of the gospel is meant to change everything about us and bring about the kind of living that honors God above all else. The gist of the parable of the soils, again, the kind of hearer you are will reveal exactly where you are spiritually. And the way that we listen to the word of God will determine everything about us now and into eternity. And it is here that we come to our text where Jesus continues with another visual on this very same topic of hearing well. And we read this in verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Just like the purpose of the seed is for fruit, the purpose of a lamp is to shine so that all can see. So the purpose of hearing the word of God is that it would actually change the way that we live. These parables and illustrations that Jesus gives to us are undeniably simple in that sense. And the visual here in these verses is one of absolute absurdity a picture of someone covering a lit lamp. Now, this is ancient Palestine without any kind of electricity, and so the entire life of the people revolved around the rising and the setting of the sun. To have any kind of light inside of your house required a candle to be lit with oil to be drawn. And then you put that thing highly so that its little rays could reach throughout the corners of that dark room. But the picture here is of someone lighting that candle and then snuffing it out with a jar. Why light it in the first place if you're just going to suffocate the oxygen from it? Or lighting a candle and putting it under a bed, which in these days was a mat that rested on the floor, and you rolled it up when it's not in use. So you light a candle, and then you smother it out with a mattress. 
The visual is utterly absurd because the entire purpose of lighting that lamp is to provide light, just like the entire purpose of sowing that seed is to produce fruit. And the entire purpose of hearing the Word of God is to bring about real life change. This is not merely an intellectual exercise or an emotional event. J.C. Ryle, he says this, when we hear this lesson, let us first think of ourselves. The gospel which we possess was not given us only to be admired, talked of, and professed, but to be practiced. It was not meant merely to reside in our intellect and memories and tongues, but to be seen in our lives. A glorious light is put before us. Let us take heed that we use it. When we each hear the word of God and listen to the gospel, if it does not change the way that we are living, we are those ones with ears to hear that don't hear. And we are those soils which for a variety of reasons don't bring about any fruit. And we are this lamp lighter who lights it only to extinguish it right after. When we don't hear in a life-changing way, we are this portrait of absurdity where we can listen to the glories of the gospel and the beauty of the kingdom of God and of his king, Jesus Christ. We are the portrait of utter absurdity if we can take all of that into our ears and have it not go any further or deeper than that. Now, at this point in the text, after two Sundays in a row now, emphasizing the importance of hearing the word of God in the right way, some may be asking, isn't the parable of the sower enough? That's already very understandable and clear. This sounds like a rerun. This is just one sermon on this topic of listening rightly to the Word of God sufficient. Are we at this point now beating a dead horse? Is Jesus being redundant? And it's not as if this is the only place where hearing the Word of God is so emphasized with ridiculous imagery. James chapter 1 and verse 22 says this, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. And so we have a seed with no fruit, a lamp lit, snuffed out, and a person looking and studying his face in the mirror, turning around and forgetting the whole image. These are obvious pictures and visuals of absolute nonsense, but they are repeating the very same concept because sometimes it is that we so deceive ourselves into thinking we are somewhere spiritually because we have heard the word of God superficially and we think we have arrived because we have listened to grand theological truths even though we never actually lived an ounce of them. And the way that Jesus has been preaching to these crowds, Luke 4.32, he preaches, and they are astonished, the text says. They're amazed at his teaching. They never heard anything like it. Their jaws are dropped wide open. They're hanging on to the edge of their seats. And sometimes it is with so many of us that the preacher can preach, and we can hear the heights of heaven and the depths of sin. We can listen to the holiness of God, inapproachable, coupled with the amazing grace of God, utterly approachable his hatred for sin, and yet his love for the sinner. We can hear his call to carry a cross and come and follow me and to eat and drink to the glory of another while despising the hunger for our own glory to be recognized. 
We can take all of that into our ears and hang on to the edge of our seats and lean forward to anticipate the next phrase of the next passage. And it feels like conviction. Some people have wetness in the corners of their eyes and it feels like your life has changed by merely hearing. And it's not the preacher per se, although the preparation of the word of God is very important, but it is the word of God itself which can cut so deep. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When this is proclaimed, it can cut us to the deep. When this is read, it can read us. Martin Luther famously said, The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet, it runs after me. It has hands, it lays hold of me. And so in the hearing of it, there can be these emotional ups and downs and it can examine the deepest recesses of our own hearts and expose to us things about who we are and expose to us things about who God is in a way that nothing else can. But even after an experience like that and then singing in response the word of God with the people of God at the top of our lungs, it can so easily be after an experience like that that our most pressing concern as we walk to our cars is whether we're going to eat Jersey Mike's or Cane's or go a little bit more exotic with some Panda Express. And then we become exactly like that person who has stared into the mirror and within a few moments has forgotten already what our faces were like. And then we become the absurd ones who light the lamp just so that lamp could be suffocated by the jar or extinguished with a mat when we leave these double doors. We're characterized by the three failed soils, hard and indifferent, or emotionally driven, but only temporarily so, or with so many competing interests in our hearts and in our lives and suffocating agendas that choke us that we will get to God and his glory when it's more convenient for me and when I have checked off some other boxes of my ambitions. I think that one of the reasons why Jesus layers his teaching here about the importance of hearing the word of God rightly, the reason why Jesus is redundant with so many visuals is because so many of us are in a deep, deep spiritual sleep and slumber utterly unaware of the true status of our own souls because there was this phenomenon then and there is this phenomenon now that the listener thinks that he or she is somewhere spiritually because they've merely heard some things and have been passive spectators of some things all the while for the most part they can live for and strive for and dream about all the same things an unbeliever lives for and strives for and dreams about because they are fundamentally the same person except one hears and the other doesn't. This is the deceit James 1 tells us about of being the merely hearer who does not do what the word of God says and so deceives himself. And what makes this kind of deceit so difficult is because it is self-deceit. Who do you trust but yourself? Because we are the ones who tie that blindfold on our own eyes. We are our own deceivers and our own worst enemies. And we can so easily sink into this deep deception about how we are really doing because we've heard some things and are even moved by some things even when those things do not really change our lives in any drastic measure at all. 
or we live them out to the degree and the frequency that they are convenient for me and not interfering with what it is that I'm really living for in this moment. And the question for every hearer of the preached word of God is what is it that you are really living for? Who is it that you are spending your life on? Is the only way to describe your life is that you are a new creation and the old is gone and the new has come. Jesus is calling out in these layers and layers and he's beating this dead horse again and again because he does not want any of us to only hear the word of God as mere spectators of an event that we will forget the moment we leave this room. But he layers on these visuals so that we might actually be changed and to be changed entirely so that we might find the true joy of living unto Jesus and for his glory solely and primarily. I think there is a design here that what is obviously absurd in these pictures may perhaps awaken us to what is not so obvious within each of our own hearts. But I also think that this visual of this lamp lit is not only given to awaken us to the ridiculousness of extinguishing the word of God, but I also think the visual of light here is about the impact and the effect that a genuinely changed and a genuinely Christian life can have upon the people around us, which functions as a further motivator to hear the word of God in the right way. When we hear that word and internalize this gospel and genuinely believe the good news of the kingdom of God, it also helps others to get out of the darkness that they are in. And there are many in each of our communities where you may be the only light of Christ that they have. People who will not come through these doors. It is your changed and distinct life which can function as a light for their darkened eyes. Because there are thousands around us who are dead and dying in their sin and know nothing about the grace of God's forgiveness or the immensity of God's love for the unlovable, or the eternal future secured by the cross and resurrection of Jesus, which can be theirs by faith. They know nothing about these things at all, and they don't even know that they know nothing, because people who have only lived in darkness do not understand that it is darkness. And there's only one light, Jesus Christ, who can bring them out of it, are hearing his word rightly, and obeying it and internalizing what we have heard is designed by God to shine in these very places and upon these very people. And so we must not only think singularly about our own souls in regards to this topic of hearing well. We must think of other souls as well, that our proper response to the preaching of the word can actually have this evangelistic effect on the people around us. That when we hear well, we are loving others as well. J.C. Ryle again, the highest form of selfishness is that of the man who is content to go to heaven alone. The truest charity is to endeavor to share with others every spark of religious light that we possess ourselves and so to hold up our candle that it may give light to everyone around us. No candle which God lights was ever meant to burn alone. And therefore, we ought to hear and hear the word of God well, appropriating it so that it might actually change the way we live for the sake of our souls and change the way we live for the sake of other souls as well. 
so that we might be shining lights of distinction relative to the people around us who are currently perishing in the darkness without even knowing it. I think it is the great test of our time and a difficult temptation that when we do have a little light in this world of darkness, that we don't want everyone looking at us. We don't want to stand out we, too much. We kind of want to hide that. We don't want to draw any attention to it or make anyone feel uncomfortable. And we just desire then to blend in. It's this great test and difficult temptation to just pretend in public that we don't believe. We won't say that. Well, we hide it. We pretend that we don't sing loud in the privacy of our own homes or listen to that word in our own churches. But brothers and sisters, if any of us here are content to hide our Christianity and to camouflage our devotion to Jesus Christ, we can be sure that we are being utterly absurd and we are not hearing the word of God properly at all. Verse 17, Jesus continues with his caution. He says, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Jesus has made it clear that the way we listen tells us exactly where we're at spiritually. He makes it clear again that the way we hear today is going to let us what will know what will happen on that last day. What we hear now is an eternally important matter. But right now and in the now, we don't often know what is going to happen on that last day. And we can all, all of us, sit in a chair and listen and nod our heads and have some, the corner of our eyes wet with emotion. Some of us sleep and couldn't care less. And then we all stand up and sing some songs, and it seems, well, we're all here. We must be doing all okay, spiritually speaking, and we must all be citizens of the kingdom of God because we are here, and we are in the presence of the preaching of the kingdom of God. But there are many things hidden from our eyes in this life. There are many idols and sins weaved within the fabric of our hearts that we have gotten really good at hiding and really good at keeping secret and protected underneath the Kevlar, the word of God can be proclaimed and it just bounces right off of that. But we don't always know that. There can be secret affairs, business practices with no integrity, habitual lying, undercover substance abuse, addiction to pornography, bitter resentments against this friend or family member that rots you over the decades. But rather than confess and seek the grace and power necessary for change in the gospel, and we all need that grace and power. We all need that change. We all have those things as skeletons in our closet. Rather than to reach out for the hope that is available to all of us, we can so easily keep those things near and dear to us and not even want to change. And we just hide them where no one can see and still appear to listen intently at the preaching of the gospel. And these same ones can serve in the church, sing at the top of their lungs, and we are none the wiser because they can fool themselves and fool all the people around them as well. Now, on the flip side, there are also those who may not make much of a big deal of themselves at church at all, but there is this secret devotion and this life of prayer, this discipline of service, a generosity that doesn't seek claim for their own glory, but pours into the church 
and into the ministry and into the mission field for his glory, even at great cost to themselves, and no one sees that. We have quite a few of these believers in our own church family. There's that quiet mother who ministers to her children day after day on repeat. Every kid doesn't want to listen to a word she says. We have the husband and that wife who loves sacrificially their spouse, even when that love is never reciprocated or respected. There's that prayer warrior who spends so much time on their hands and on their knees beseeching the Father. And that person is affecting change in this world more than the person in the public eye. That one who has been dealt a bad hand, so to speak, and yet strives and has this quiet trust and belief and faith that even though these things don't work out for me, I know they really are going to work out for me because God works all things out for our own good. And even when I can't make sense of it now, I trust my God more than I trust my eyes. A lot of that is hidden as well. But it's going to all come out one day. And there will be no self-deceit, no fakery, no mass, no acting. The truth about how each of us have heard and how each of us thus have lived will be revealed and there will be no question about any of us then. Jesus is giving to his hearers a sobering reminder of this day that is coming where our hearts will be unveiled. And the principle that Jesus gives to us in the here and the now in regard to hearing the word of God is that if you don't use it, you are going to lose it. If you neglect it, it's going to be gone and taken from you. If you don't nurture that seed sown, you're not going to have fruit in your life. If you develop a habit of lighting a lamp and extinguishing it on the way out, you're going to be in darkness, and so will the people around you. You will be neck deep in self-deceit, and you may even genuinely think of yourself as a believer and as a Christian, even when you don't live like one, but you are, according to Jesus, a have-not, and even what you think you have, that's going to even be taken from you. And the craziest thing about this is so many people do think they possess something and they don't. Jesus is not holding back as what is at stake every time the word of God is proclaimed. But the principle is also such that the one who continues to hear and nurtures that seed, their lives are going to fruit. More and more you will receive from God. And the one who lights that lamp and lets it shine you will find yourself seeing all the more clearly what really matters and what does not. You will see all the more vividly even your own deficiencies and sinfulness, but at the same time see vividly the grace of God and the love of God in Jesus Christ. And he changes you little bit by little bit. And that the more you shine brightly to the watching world around you, you will be used by God in mighty ways to bring people out of that darkness and into the light because the one who has even more will be given to him or her. Brothers and sisters, the way we listen and the way that we hear, the word of God is of utmost importance. It determines everything about us now and it determines everything about us into eternity. The stakes are that high. Our own salvation hangs in our hearing, our own fruitfulness as well, as well as the gospel going forth into this darkened world is all contingent upon how we hear the word of God preached. And the question for each of us 
is what will be unveiled and revealed when all is said and done. What secrets are going to come to light? You have secrets in your heart now. Bring them to light now. Deal with them now. Don't compartmentalize. What is hidden in each of our hearts will be made manifest. Are you a have or are you a have not? This is perhaps the most important question that we each have to answer now, which is imprinted into the command of verse 18. Take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. Verse 19, our passage transitions from caution to the scene of beautiful loyalty that Jesus has for his own. And we read there, then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus' mom, Mary, and some of his brothers want to talk to Jesus in the midst of his preaching. And, of course, a crowd there understands the priority of family. This isn't a couple of Jesus groupies who are trying to get near to the stage. This is his own mom. These are his brothers. They must be given priority because of their relationship to Jesus. Family first, bloodline, especially in this day and age and in this culture. But Jesus here shows to us uh, the great privilege of hearing the word of God and doing it. That the ones who listen like this, where the preached word comes into their hearts and actually changes them, that these are the ones who make up his true family. That Jesus is more closely related to these kinds of hearers than even blood ties. Brothers and sisters, you may be the only believer in your biological family, but as you listen to that word and you read it, and you strive to obey it and have the Spirit working in your life to live for Him and stand for Jesus Christ, even if you are the only one standing. Jesus looks upon you with love in His eyes, and He claims you as His very own. We see the same principle in Luke eleven twenty-seven. 27. There's a woman in the crowd there, so amazed by Jesus. She yells at Jesus, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nurse. I wish I had a son like you. Basically saying your mom is so blessed to have a child like you. But Jesus says in response to her, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Do you see the utter privilege that it is to be able to hear the word of God preached week in and week out? And not because of the preacher, but because this is the word of Christ. You see the privilege of being those who can listen and meditate and chew on and obey that we are somehow more blessed than the woman who experienced a virgin birth. We are more privileged than this Mary who carried our Savior to term and nursed him and laid him in that manger. That you, church family, are more blessed and privileged than even she when you listen to Christ's word and you keep it. There's no greater privilege that we will have in this life than that. There's no closer union and connection that we have with our Lord and Savior than when we hear his voice and we obey it. And as we come to the Lord's table, on the second Sunday of the month, we come before the body and the blood of Christ represented in the bread, the body, and the wine, the blood. 
And if you are new or newer here, you know, this message this morning might sound like if you try your best and listen really good and obey with all your might, then you earn your way into the kingdom of God. But that is not exactly the message. The, the gospel message, that word gospel means good news. And it is good news that Jesus Christ has come to save a sinful people because we cannot save ourselves. We would not and could not come to him, and so he came to us. But a holy God, perfect and righteous, cannot be or commune or fellowship with our filthy race of humanity. I mean, look at how broken this world is because of sin. We as human beings mess stuff up. Some might be better than others, but we all contribute to what makes this place a broken world. And so the Son of God and God himself, he is sent to us, born of a virgin. There's no taint of sin in this Jesus. Born of a virgin, truly God, and yet truly human. He's fully both, and he lives a life that we would not and could not live, which is utterly sin-free. You want to look at a life that is owned by God and without any sin at all? You look at the life of Jesus Christ. Complete obedience to the Father. And yet, he doesn't get what he deserves because he chooses to die the death that we each deserve, that upon that cross, Jesus receives the wrath of God and the judgment of God against our sin. He receives it upon himself, and that is how he chooses to die, because he loves us. And so there's nothing that we can earn. We can't earn a thing from God. The wages of the way that we have each lived our lives is death and death eternal. But Jesus dies our death because, again, his great love for us is astronomical. And Jesus defeats the power of death and breaks that bondage of sin which has enslaved all of us in his own resurrection from the grave on that third day that the one who puts their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ and turns away from the life that they have lived without him, that that one can be saved and will be granted and given new life and enjoy this immense love of God, which rests not on how we perform, but upon the merit and the perfection of Jesus Christ himself. There is no way we can earn our way into heaven. We are only accepted because we are found in Jesus. That's why we eat and drink the bread and the cup. It's symbolic of his people partaking of Jesus himself. This is our only hope. He is our only righteousness. But he gives himself to us as a free gift. I just eat of it. And in relation to him, we are given new, entirely new and eternal life. But the reason now why obedience is so important is not because we earn or because if we have a bad day, we're going to get kicked out. I hope you die on a good day. The reason why obedience is so important is because it is an identifying marker. Because those who are truly his, who have been born again, not of the will of man, but of the will of God, they will necessarily take on the family resemblance. And obedience to God is the family resemblance. Each of my kids, you know them here, they look at least 75% like me. They look like my clones. And each genuine believer, by the work of the Holy Spirit, they're going to look more and more like Jesus Christ and live unto him and not unto ourselves and resemble Jesus in how and in who and in what we live for. And his very word, 
is what guides us, a lamp unto our feet, our trust in God and our love for God who first loved us is shown in how we live our lives. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's the order. Love is why we obey. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandment and his commandments are not burdensome. This is not legalistic. You better do this, otherwise you get this. It's love that your commandments I trust are in my best interest for my own good and your highest praise, and that is not a burden for those who love this God. Christianity is not a life of rules and regulations where we grit our teeth and bear it. Christianity is ultimately about love for the one who first loved us and trust in the one who loved us to this degree that he did not spare himself at all in giving himself to us that when Jesus speaks, we love to listen. And we want with all of our redeemed hearts to obey and to follow him and to give ourselves more and more to the one who gave himself entirely and wholly and fully to us. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the privilege of hearing your word. Please, by your grace, let no one in this room spurn that privilege. Let us not be hearers merely who deceive ourselves, but God, make us into doers of your word who understand how much you love us and love you in return to understand how much you've given to us and we give ourselves to you in response. We thank you, Lord, for this church family. I know for a lot of us in this room, we are more closer to the people around us than we are to our own bloodline. Would you strengthen those ties? Show us which family matters most. Show us relation to you which matters eternally and would you bring us closer to yourself and closer to each other as well. God, I pray, Lord, that our little church, our church, Ohana, would be a bright light in this community that people might see and even if it might hurt their eyes and they don't like it at first, that they might see by that light who they really are and who you really are and they might come to know Jesus Christ now and forevermore. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray, amen.